Salam and hello. Welcome to Uproot. My name is Lily Bakala Piper, and I'm delighted that you've tuned in today. Today's episode is a very special episode with three brand new friends that I've just made here in Kenya, but they're not from Kenya. Today's guests come from all over the continent, and they are storytellers. So be prepared to be taken in with their words of wisdom, with their laughter, and with all the things that they have learned in their journey across the world and into the deep roots that they share through storytelling. I'm going to ask them each to introduce themselves, say their names, what country they're from, and then we'll get going. Kanyisa, let's start with you. <laughs> um, my name is Kanyisa Sikwanda. I'm from South Africa. My name is Yusuf Ujalo, and I'm from uh, Sierra Leone. My name is Alim Kamara, and I'm from Sierra Leone via London. Via London. Via. Via to your name makes you even more exciting, huh? It's like having a PhD after the name, I think. Lucifu, Alim, Kanisa, welcome so much. We're delighted to have you here in Nairobi. And the reason they're here is because all of our mutual friend, uh, Maimuna Jalo, is putting on an amazing storytelling festival this week called the Reimagined Storytelling Festival. And she's invited storytellers to come and reimagine the continent, reimagine our history, our culture, but at the same time to embrace deeply those things that make us positively and proudly African, which is what I love about her work, is that it, it weaves the past, but it also guides us to the future. So let me throw out my first question. How have stories rooted each of you to your culture? Uproot is all about roots at the end of the day. So Kanisa, I think you're our youngest person here, so I'm going to ask <laughs> you, even though you're so young, how have stories helped root you to your culture? Um, so I grew up with my grandmother. My mom was overseas, so it was my grand and my dad. And my grandmother would tell us stories, me and my brother, all the time. And she had a way of doing it, you know. Um, so we've got a word that we always use that's called invelapi. Mm. Um, and that is where you come from. And that's one thing she's always said to us is that to always remember invelapiako, where you come from. Let me try and say it. Invelapi. So within her stories, we, we had never been to her village. And eventually we went. So ten, did you grow up in a city then? And she, I grew up in a city. Okay, where, what city did you grow up in? Port Elizabeth in South Port Africa. Elizabeth, okay. So yes, within the Eastern Capes, like okay. a, yeah, in a province. And how far was her home? Her home wasn't far. That's why I felt <laughs> like I was cheated in yeah, some way. Yeah. Uh, her home was about, it's like a, um, I'm lying, maybe nine hour drive. Oh, that, that's a bit far. No, I but I mean. eyes just popped out of his head. I think that indicates <laughs> that's far. For but South Africa, maybe not. But for other yeah, countries, that would be far. But nine-hour drive, for me, like, I, no. Yeah. yeah I it was doable, huh? It was doable, yeah. you know. Um, so she would always tell us about where she came from and how she grew up. And I was fortunate enough to meet my great-grandmother. Wow. But... I can't remember those years. <laughs> so I remember when she was, I think she was, she passed away when she was 98 or 99. Wow. But 
I got to meet her, but then with the stories that my grandmother told me, I got to I got a sense of who she was and where they came from and through her storytelling as well for me to imagine yeah. how life was at that time and how different it was from the city and the villages. Yeah. So what did her stories evoke in you? Do you do you have a sense of how you felt when you'd hear the stories? I'd feel really excited. Mm. Um but also deprived hmm. because most of my friends were exposed to the villages they'd go to the villages like during christmas time they'd actually it's called ukoduka like yeah. going back home yeah we say going know? to shags here yeah, in kenya mm-hmm. yeah so yeah. during christmas yeah. and then you come back and even my friends would have all these stories and i was mm. just like okay but i've been in the city the whole time you know mm. so with her stories like it i just got to live yeah in her world if i could say yeah. um and also know where i come from so they kind of rooted me in a way and i've been fortunate to be able to share those stories and having experienced the village life so i got to share those stories with my own daughter oh. as as a mother as well fantastic so, so that's, that's that's i was just making that connection between you met your great grandmother yes stories from your grandmother now to pass that on that's yeah. the power of story yeah something we actually inherit yeah that is intangible you know and i feel that a great sense of the bridging the generational gap within yeah. that so yeah. yeah all right thank yeah. you for that thank you isufu tell us i know stories are really important to your expression of who you are as a person but also beyond that for your country and your the nation of Sierra Leone and what it means. So tell me how stories root you into your culture and to your people. Um for me stories is the be all and end all. You know mm. the um success or failure of every person or nation or community or country is entirely dependent on the narrative mm-hmm. that yeah. they conceive that they perceive that they believe that they accept mm. and eventually act upon so at the end of the day your story your narrative um will define what you become what wow. you um what you be live and so the so storytelling our, our parents our grandparents forefathers did not tell stories simply because they want to give you an a brass spider or a donkey story they told stories um and these stories were were, were metaphors they were coded stories yeah. that tell um that that tell, that give information on deep spiritual matters that give information on deep economic matters sure. political matters so storytelling um for me um has brought me kind of full circle back to that because one of the things that i think a lot of um we a lot of africans tend to do um these days is we tend to kind of uproot ourselves we tend to just cut ourselves from our roots and we try to graft ourselves onto mm-hmm. another narrative now um um it it's been done to us in the past where europeans came into africa and did everything to cut us off so they right. can graft us now we are grafting ourselves now where do you, where do you see narrative. that istifu because i i like that word graft because it ties into mm. roots it ties into it's got biblical symbolism yes. where do you see that most prevalent in in your context in particular i think it's it's been prevalent Oh lord what a loaded question <laughs> I know tread lightly do yes, you I'm, I'm yeah. treading very very lightly here but I'll start at our universities 
Many of our universities, especially um, during colonial era, I can speak this definitely for the Furabi College University that was built in Sierra Leone as the first mm -hmm. um, British or English or Western-based university in Africa per se. It was branded the Athens of British West Africa. Mm -hmm. Well, frankly speaking, I couldn't care about Athens because we had yes. um, Kemet, we had, we had Timbuktu, we have all these places that had education that Greek, Greece at that time could only dream about. Absolutely. So, but when Frabi College was was built, it was it was um, it was instituted so that us Africans could go and learn a story, a narrative that could give us a trajectory to only serve the colonial masters. Mm. And so, when we finish the, the the limited education that we usually yeah. have within that university, we have to run to England, America, Germany to go and do all of these other so-called big studies. Sure. So you go and get another kind of narrative from those countries only to come back to your own country and you look down on your own people. Yeah. So that for me is one of the big, big um, challenges in the narratives that we have had in the past, the stories we've had in the past. Now we have a responsibility within our universities to begin to tell our children about the brain surgeons we have in Africa. Yeah. Myself, yeah. I've seen traditional brain surgery being done by a man in a village. Not for one person, but over several people. Yeah. Now, these are important stories that, our, that our, our students in Africa should know about so that they could begin to research and begin to tell these stories and we can reshape our narratives to begin to see how great we are as Africans. And the people said, Amen. Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> Amen. Amen and well. <laughs> but you know, Sifa, we'll come back to a lot of what you said because I think what you're saying is, is takes two different directions in my mind. I want to get to Alim, but you know, there's both the stories that we tell about ourselves and therefore believe. Then there's another story that we export. And then what does the rest of the world believe mm. about us? And both those things are equally mm. powerful. Absolutely. So we're going to revisit that in a moment. But Alim, yes. now you, you've taken a little trip. Uh -huh. or your, your story is a little different uh -huh. than Usifu. So give us a quick glimpse into where you grew up. Yep. And then how, what stories have meant to you as you connect to your culture. So born in the UK, um, spent my childhood in Sierra Leone. Uh, where I grew up uh, next to my grandfather. How old were you when you came back? Um, I was eight. Eight, okay. Yeah, so yeah, you had yeah. a, enough time to develop a British accent in the UK, maybe. Yeah, not really. I, went, I left the UK when I was two. Oh, okay. So I went to, yeah, back home and then came back I see to back London. To at eight. Um, when I, yeah, I yeah, see, yeah, I at see. eight. Okay. So, okay. Um, and what I was looking for, I could not see a reflection of myself anywhere. Mm. And in fact, that is when the racism was hardcore. Mm just getting stopped on the road for no reason, people throwing bananas out of their car as they're driving past. And you're not understanding this because you've come from a culture and tradition where everybody just gets along, even yeah. religiously. Hmm. So all of a sudden to arrive in this place, which is supposed to be my birthplace, and be an alien, sure. it was a case of I was looking for where do I fit in? Yeah. And as I told you, it's I found it in hip-hop. You know, watch it. I remember going to my cousins and him putting on like NWA, KRS One, wow. Tupac, and I was just like, "What yeah, is this?" Yeah, yeah. and it resonated it's, with you. Yeah, definitely. It was almost like the the storytelling had evolved hmm. um, from what I heard the the spoken word delivery to now the rhythmical format on top of beats, etc. And so that was when I fell in love with hip hop because wow. it was like, "Wow, I can finally see myself." in something that reflects who I am. 
and what some t- certain times what we were going through. Yeah. So then you're in London, back in London, yes. connecting with hip hop as a high schooler, college student. What point in your life was that? I would say, no, I'm talking about from when I was about 10. Okay, so really young. Yeah, 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 really young. And then have, are you back in Sierra Leone now? I go back and forth. You go back and forth. I go forth. back and forth, yeah, yeah, So yeah, you're yeah, dancing yeah. this delicate dance yes. of multiple stories, yes. multiple, multiple yeah. borders. Um, but it's it's cool what you said because I think um, no matter how much we, we want to accept it or not, hip-hop has become the storytelling for a generation Definitely. and has really been probably America's biggest export in mm-hmm. the last, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 30 years. And yeah. so we can't run from that. So Definitely. as storytellers, it's probably in some level something that we embrace or need to at least tip our hat at and acknowledge because it, it has significance. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's keep this conversation going in terms of, you know, I, I want to come back to you about what stories meant to you in terms of connecting you to Sierra Leone? Did you hear stories growing up? You mentioned your grandfather yes. about the continent. And was there a, a disconnect between what you heard and mm-hmm. what you experienced? Definitely. Um, so growing up and listening to stories, it was interesting because when I came to the UK and just fast, fast, going fast forward, when I got to university, mm-hmm. um, I got to do a storytelling module. And in that storytelling module, I was reintroduced to the spoken word side of storytelling. And when I took on that course, it was where I mentioned the character Anansi. Yes. And nobody had heard of Anansi. And that was one, just one of the characters that I was taught about and told sure. about when I was young. And so I was almost offended. <laughs> because I was like, what, what do you mean? And I realized the Mickey Mouse, the Donald Duck, the Daffy, the Peppa Pigs mm. were now replacing yeah. um, my story. So it was almost like I had to pierce through the cloud yeah, yeah. and say, yo, no, somebody has to do something yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah. And it's like, who's going to do anything? Who's going to? And you're looking around and it's like, next thing you know, your face in the mirror is like, yeah. well, <laughs> who are you waiting for? Yeah. You do it. Well, you know, and, and you bring up a question of, you know, whether or not do our stories have significance if we cannot monetize them or if we cannot spread them wide? You know, if people will not wholly, because I think that's the difference as at Disney, all these others have money, Mm -hmm. they have power, they have influence. And so they're creating stories. Mm -hmm. And here are folks like you traveling from country to country, story at a time, trying to make those impressions. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, Sifu, you've been in this a long time. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the potential for storytelling to really make a cultural impact? I think storytelling has a tremendous, tremendous um, potential, but it is, it's, um, we have to first of all understand when we're talking of monetizing um, storytelling. Um, in general, Africans do not know what is money. Yeah. If you ask a lot of Africans what is money, they will tell you it is that paper that you get or that coin that you get. No. And I've asked this question at university levels and secondary levels. They tell me the same answer. It's a money. No. Money is not that paper. Money is the reward you get for offering a service. Hmm. Now, Africans have got to begin to think what services are they prepared to offer to the world in order to get that money. Hmm. Our culture has been one of exchange, of battering, and meeting your neighbor, right. and they give you a little bit of thing, and so on. That's how we have been, socialism kind of um, way right. of living. We didn't have to deal with this one thing that you have to survive by, as in the modern world yeah. today. So the, uh, so the Western world understand that principle of coming in, putting marketing, and creating a need for you so that they can sell you something. 
It is, this is not necessarily an African um, 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 trait, per se, yeah. an African yeah, yeah. concept. So we have to learn this. It's not being taught in schools yeah. at all. This yeah. is not being taught in schools. It needs to be taught in schools. Yeah. That children need to understand services that they offer. So then, let's look at Africa. What are the services that we can offer? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and and you've got to look at services that you know when you offer it, you have very few com um, um, competition. And one of the, co the, the services we have as Africans that, is, that could hardly be co um, have um, competition is our culture, is our cultural art forms. Mm -hmm. um, and storytelling is one of that art form. I couldn't care what anybody tell me in the world. No one can beat an African to tell a story. <laughs> I love that. I, I absolutely that. Yeah. stand by that. Yeah. We are the original storytellers. Yeah. We can mix up any way in telling a story. Yeah. I know that for sure. So, um, um, but yet, when we look at storytelling, it's the one thing we have not upgraded to the level um, to see how we can um, um, commercialize it, how, how, how important it is for tourism. Yeah. So Lion King is making billions of dollars yeah. around the world. It's our story, yeah. but Europeans are making money out yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, gosh, we can call so many, many um, other, other stories. Mm. So when are we going to wake up to that? Now, this has to take some, uh, um, some entrepreneurship, of course, but it also take a um, political will Yes. To, um, to, to encourage um, many other artists who are, whether it's spoken word, or whether it is rap, or whether it is the traditional storytelling art form. I know Sierra Leone, for example, we, we have a serious problem. I mean, storytelling was more or less, um, I, I had to go and put a defibrillator on the culture <laughs> of storytelling to kind of electrify, yeah. back, back, um, um, to electrify the heartbeat of storytelling again in Sierra Leone. Thankfully, it's picking up now. And part of what I'm doing is to um, inspire the young people there to say, it makes money for you. Well, you know, and someone needs to, we have to find those paths that keep us relevant and then, again, keep the roots there, you mm. know? Yes. So, so it's like we need a storytelling app or something that someone yes. can develop that, you know, th that's how our world is now. Absolutely. Even, even hard books are becoming fair. I still like hard books as opposed to electronic books. Mm -hmm. But yes. even that industry is quickly, quickly changing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, but I tell you, I mean, it's, it, it is changing. But what's, what's happening as it's changing, we here in Africa are not keeping up with those technologies. Right. The Europeans have much more access to these technologies. So what's happening is they quickly come over to us here in Africa. They can record our stories and they go back. They've got mm, all the mm. things to record them mm, and yeah. edit it and put it together. Mm. The, 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 most, um, uh, uh, the most comprehensive mm -hmm. um, um, storytelling book that is written about my own culture, the Limba people, is written by an English lady called Ruth Finnegan. Yeah. Is what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Thank goodness she did it because none of us have recorded it in, in Sierra Leone. I have that book, but it gives a comprehensive study about our culture. But this is when I talk about universities earlier yeah, on. Yeah. They have this duty. They've got to embrace this, to, to archive these stories with as much modern day equipment as they have, whether I make money now on it or not, yeah. but let the generations coming after us access these archives yeah. and then begin to enrich themselves with it. Well, and you know, there's, there's so much in the news just in this last week with France uh, not mm. returning some of their, the bronze statues to Benin. Mm. Um, <laughs> different countries. There was another country also recently, and, and, or they're saying they'll loan it. England is one of them. It just, just yeah. seems ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been to the mm -hmm. British Museum and you see 
all these incredible yeah. artifacts from the yeah. continent that have been taken. And it's, it's interesting, you know, on the one hand, we're grateful for the Ruth Finnegans who have con uh, preserved the story somehow. I've been to Egypt, I've seen the museums there, and in some of the museums you just think, how are these things still preserved? Because mm. you know, the, the standards are not as they should be. Mm. It's this, we live in a tension, we live yeah. in a tension with preserving the old, but wanting to do it ourselves in our own way, even if it comes at a cost. Um, it's complicated. You know, uh, um, Alim and I, we have a saying. Mm. We say, inspiring greatness. Preserving tradition. I like that, mm. I like that. Inspiring mm. greatness, preserving tradition. Yeah. Alim and I talk about this mm -hmm. quite often, and that I've been doing every for so long is taking our oral heritage mm -hmm. and giving it a contemporary relevance. Yes. Right. You right. see, because yes. um, you know, like I said, I do not do, uh, I don't do storytelling anymore. I do transformatory stories mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. So every single story I do has to connect yeah. to the audience, the children, and their present day way of living. And they have to see a way how um, they can use whatever message within that story to transform their lives. Mm. You see? Absolutely. As storytellers, we have three purposes. One is to get the audience to listen. Two is to get them to remember what they've listened. Three is to get them to act upon yeah. what they remember of what they've listened. Yeah. That's the main thing. And interestingly enough, since you brought up universities earlier, that's the goal of education. Mm. She yeah. listen, remember, act. It should cause you at the end of the day to action. Yes. Otherwise, the, the education is quite lacking, you know? Yes. I'm going to shift gears a little bit because I, I want to keep talking about stories. Um, you know, I think as a continent and, and when, in trying to preserve our tradition, there are some parts of our tradition that we should not preserve, that are not worth preserving. Um, and I want to hear from you um, what you think, um, what stories do we need that we don't have and don't tell? Maybe what stories are ready to retire? And, you know, the continent is broad. <laughs> There's no way we can capture all of them, and you only represent two countries. But I'm curious just to hear from your insight, what are those stories that we should retire that maybe have gone around too long, either of our own doing or others? And what are some new stories that maybe we need to, to bring to the stage? Have maybe? you ever heard the story about truth? Sojourner Truth? None. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an amazing truth. Yes, I have. But, it, but there's a story about truth and how um, truth went knocking on people's doors yeah. and truth just get, kept on getting turned away by everybody because it was the naked truth. And whilst truth was, yeah, out in the cold, parable found truth. Hmm. And then parable took pity on truth, took truth home and fed truth and clothed truth with story. Hmm. And truth was now sent back and in, out into the world, Clover's story, and went knocking on those same people's doors and was readily welcomed into people's doors. So one of the things we have to do is begin to look at our truths, the truth, and we have to also be ready to face these truths. They're not easy to face, right. especially when you start to speak about mythology. And when you look at the etymological right. root of mythology, right. you find out that it means truth. Right. And sometimes people don't want to hear that. Absolutely. We're so far, and let's just call it what it is, religion, for instance. Mm. Sure. Yeah, when we speak about religion, it's like, ooh, mm. you're, you're treading on thin ice with right. that. And right. it's a case of, look, what we're saying is, let us tell our story. Let us tell our truth. Yeah. And we should not be ashamed of that. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, 
this my friend is gonna when when I say this to her, I said I said to my friend, and I'm gonna say this on air. I said to my friend, <laughs> I said to my friend, Jesus done juju, and she is very religious, I and she cannot stand, stand it. Well, because the word juju is miracles. Okay. But because it's an African word, when you hear juju and how it's been associated sure, sure. with Africans, suddenly there's a negative it's connotation. Like, oh, okay. It feels more like a witchcraft. Right. Yeah. Do you yeah, see? Yeah. So sure. it's again, it's me, it's me teasing, yeah. but saying, look. Well, people in Jesus' time thought that's exactly what it was. That's okay. why he, he didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> they thought do, this do, you see, do you see? <laughs> so, yeah, this is. But so, so if I understand you correctly, then what you're kind of proposing is that we shouldn't retire any stories. Mm. If the truth is hard, if the truth is ugly, it mm -hmm. still needs to be told. Yeah. Okay, Kanisa, do you agree? For black people, yeah. right? Yeah. We always are apologetic about whatever mm. we, we try to bring forth and so on. And you'll find that the Western culture is not. Mm. You know, um, their stories are always put out there. They're not yeah. apologetic. Yeah. Nothing needs to be scraped off. Nothing mm. needs to, especially like with the with the apartheid regime, like everything sure. that happened um, pre-colonial, yeah. you know, um, yeah. those stories are still there yeah. and they are not yeah. apologetic about yeah. those stories. Yeah. And I just honestly, sincerely think nothing should be, you know, yeah. we should just still, we should tell our stories. And this is why I'm sure it makes you effective at what you do because you're willing to embrace that truth. Yeah. I, think I feel from maybe the journalistic point mm -hmm. of view that I, I want to mother the continent and shield her <laughs> from already too many misinterpreted stories that I want to just put out our best. But what you say is is really quite true. The rest of the world is allowed to be complicated and yeah, messy and, and messy and all that. But why do we only have to be resilient or whatever the story and it's, is. Sorry, it's yeah, interesting sorry, what yes. you say as well when we speak about um, the hard the hard truth, for instance, because say, for instance, when we, when we say, should we tell our stories, one of the things that first comes to the mind of people is, yeah, but should we continue to speak about slavery, for mm. example? And it's like, yeah. no, 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 listen, that is a pinch yeah. of our story. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And our story goes back so Absolutely. much further Absolutely. than just that little pinch. Right. Um, I have something called the African timeline. Mm. And this timeline stretches so far back yeah. that you begin to actually see, no, that, that when you, you won't even want to mention slavery when you know how far back we Absolutely. can go with our story. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, <laughs> is so true. They've said the truth. It's so true. Yeah. Uh, I, I um, in March, I finally decided to do something in March uh, that I call Backstory. Because uh, all over the years, I've been, you know, doing stories, but reading so many different books here and there. And I thought, okay, where did this whole story begin? Where did it start? Mm -hmm. So... At least for now, what I, you know, what I, at least within the knowledge I have now, I said, let me go back. And I went to Egypt. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the stories I found in Egypt were absolutely staggering. Mm -hmm. I found stories there that relate to my own people in West Africa, among the Limba people, yes. what we call God in Limba, Kanu. I went to Egypt yes. and I find Kanum. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they, have a, they have a God held, they call um, Sobet. In Sierra Leone, we have Sobe among the Timini people. I found so many of these connections there, mm. and it gave me such deeper um, understanding of who I am. Yeah. But you know, I, there's a short story I, I, I usually tell about um, about mouse who wants to look 
for look out for the best for all the mice in his kingdom mm -hmm. you know and while he's thinking mr cat dropped down and says oh look i am here i've come and i'll take care of all the mice for you i'll teach them to be the best mice <laughs> you do not worry about nothing yes. and king mouse is like really he says, oh don't worry in fact i'm vegetarian now <laughs> look at all the letters behind my name you know, and yeah. so the king told me, really, so, oh, God, well, how are you going to do it? Well, just call all the mice and bring them here, you see, because I am deeply in love with all of them, you know. <laughs> and um, I said, really, so, well, just bring them to your palace and put them all out. And then, but they must all go into the forest at the middle of the night and they should be there and make a straight line. And the only rule, they must not look back. Mm -hmm. They must only look forward. Mm -hmm. And me, Mr. Cat, who's going to teach them how to be good. I will be at the back of them, teaching mm. them as we're going through the forest. Mm. And all the mice, they went to the forest obeying their king. Mr. Cat was right behind them. Mm. Well, you can imagine what happened now, right? <laughs> yes, it yes. was absolute catastrophe. Mm. But why was Cat successful in eating them? No, they you, went... you have to tell them what, it, what Cat done. Yeah, what did Cat do? Finish Come on. Finish the story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, all right. Okay. Quickly, well, quickly, but okay, quickly. <laughs> well, Mr. Cat was right behind them, and he's singing this. Uh, he's singing a strange song, teaching them. And all the mice answered. <laughs> He keeps on doing that, he keeps yeah. on doing that. And this is the the obviously the part as well where people say, we need to move on. Mm. Ooh. Which is what the story was just saying. Yes. And yeah, people, yeah. no, let's look that. Don't no. stop looking yeah. back. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. yeah. I mean, you ask many Africans, yeah. where do you find the largest number of pyramids in the world? Yeah. Majority of Africans don't know. That yeah. is down Sudan. in Sudan. Mm. And all they look at is Egypt. Yeah. When I ask children in England, where does the River Nile start? Egypt. No. So I have to take yeah. them all the way back down to yeah. Uganda, Kenya, Lake Victoria, all the okay, way to Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Yes, yes <laughs> Lake Tana. Yeah. Yes, Ethiopia. And take them there. And uh, then I begin to show them on an interesting thing. Mm. And for your listeners, I want your listeners for them to listen and make their own judgment. Sure. We have been told that north, Egypt is up north, right? Yeah. Sudan mm. and all Egypt is down south. But ancient Egypt says... When they say northern Egypt, they're referring down to Sudan yeah, and Aswan yeah. and those places, right? Yeah. And, and Uganda, and that's where they refer to as north. Yes. And then that other part of, of Egypt right up there, yes. they refer to it as south. Yes. Okay. Well, they have told us the difference. Now, River Nile then flows from <laughs> Lake Victoria, from Lake Tana. Imagine it flows upwards. Yes. Does it make sense? Yes. Gravity science tells us the river yes. doesn't flow up at all. Yes. But we've been told that yes. it flows upwards. The mm. longest river in the world yes. flows upwards. Yes. It mm. does not make sense. So the, when I tell this in school, the, chi the children were like, ah, 
Wow. Well, you know, you, you bring such a powerful point because a, a few years ago, I got, I got my husband this map and it's exactly that. It's Africa. It looks upside down. People come and say, why is this map upside down? <laughs> and our first question is, who said that's it's, north? Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. who said that's <laughs> north? Exactly. Somebody else came and told us. So what I love about your saying is that it intersects, our stories intersect science, they intersect yes. history, Correct. literature, yeah. yes. mathematics. There's <sighs> nothing untouched. You know, we were watching some um, uh, young dancers today yeah. at the Buru Buru Library. So they did like a welcome dance for yeah. us and as I stood there I said to Yusuf oh my gosh I can see science mm -hmm. in the choreography mathematics yeah. coordination Absolutely. discipline Absolutely. practice Absolutely. and there was so much in just African dance mm -hmm. and that story alone but at the same time, people be like, no, 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 no. Yeah. There's exercise in mm. that. Absolutely. Ah, Absolutely. We have and I so think, much. <laughs> we yeah. have so much. And I think maybe my question earlier was, was poorly worded because it's not maybe about what we monetize as much as what we value and what the world places value mm. on. Mm. Correct. If we change the currency, if we yes. change the yes. definition of worth and value, yes. then all of a sudden, mm. you know, these stories now become gold. Yes. They become essential, you know? Yes. So I asked you all also what new stories we have. And so maybe we don't need new stories because all the stories are there. But I guess in my mind, what I was thinking is, you know, if coming from many patriarchal societies, mm -hmm. you know, how do we incorporate the stories of women more powerfully? Okay, let me, let me, let me just drop this. You want this. to take that okay, one? Let okay, me drop this. Let me, let me drop this. I know okay. we've got Kanisa here. Let us you know, try and, and catch um, it. Okay. But uh, the reason why I'm just jumping in there, even maybe before Kanisha came in there, but I want to say this. We, and I know you and I, we've had this discussion mm -hmm. before um, with Kanisa. We do not tell the power of our women, the story of the mm. power of our women. Mm. We tell the story of what others have brought to us about what our women yeah. should, should be. be. Yeah. Who knows about the Dahomey Amazon women? who were soldiers that looked after the king, who fought against the French, yeah. who knows about Ya Asantwa, mm. who fought against the English to preserve yeah. the Ashanti um, kingdom, yes. who knows about... Um, uh, in Zinga. You know, yeah, in, in Zinga. Queen, in Zinga, Zinga. Yes. Who knows about all these stories? I mean, so, no. my yeah. goodness me, yeah. we want to go into that unless we begin to look into this our own stories yes. of our own women, we will not get it right because there is another story that has been superimposed upon our own. I mean, Alim talked about the religious stories, for example, sure. that's been told where for those who are Christian, just open your Bible and you'll see passages there that tell you a woman must not speak in church. It is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, Tell me, what does that tell us then about our women? But African culture says mm. our women can appoint kings mm. yes. Yes. and they become queens. They become when leaders. Europeans, mm. yes, we're, we're dragging their mm. women in forests and keeping them in caves. When King um, um, Henry VIII was slaughtering yeah. each woman he marries um, because he wants to marry the next one, our kings definitely mm. don't go down that road. Well, and everything in me wants to completely agree with you, mm -hmm. but there's definitely a tension between maybe what, our, what we were and our history and our culture was and how we behave now. Because there's a lot of misbehavior by our, in our patriarchal societies. We can't run from that or deny mm -hmm. that. And so sure. maybe what our stories can do is inform better yes. decision-making yes. and better behavior right. for now because we have bought into some kind of behaviors that certainly are not 
we were serving everyone. Yeah, we were we were speaking and and he we were talking about how society tells a woman how they're supposed to act, how they're supposed to conduct themselves, what what's expected of them, and no one spends time to teach the boy child. Hmm. No hmm. one focuses yeah. on the boy child. Hmm. He's fine. He's, he's given leeway to act in yeah. whichever way he wants. Yeah. I've always said, even sometimes, like men are let they are let off the hook. If I can, mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. because from a young age, mm-hmm. I remember at five p.m. I needed to be in the house. I needed to close the curtains. Uh, my grandmother would sit there in the dark and she'd say, I'm not going to close the curtain until you're here. Like, you're the one that's supposed to put on the lights. Mm. So 5 p.m., all the girls would be in the house, but the boys would be outside playing. Mm. And then we find that women would fall pregnant. The men would what? Run away. In, both parties had an involvement in this, yeah. but then the responsibilities put on the mm. women, you know? Yeah. So... Women are expected to be A, B, and C, but no one speaks to the boy child and says, this is how you're supposed to treat it. This is, mm. what you, that's, this is what's expected of you. You need to step up and be that yes. certain, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah and, absolutely. And I think with, 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 with even um, back home, when Uwini Mandela passed away, people were, emo- we were all emotional because she's the one that was out there Mandela was imprisoned and she was out there fighting mm. you know yeah. and no one was talking about those stories and telling those stories mm. and she only got celebrated when she passed away mm. yeah you yeah. know mm. um so i do yeah. feel like I, I, we we can we we need those stories told yeah we, we do. need and mm. we as storytellers need to take it upon ourselves to tell those stories mm. And I think the beauty of what all of you have said at some point is that we have all we need. Yes. We don't yeah. need anything else. Yeah. It's a matter mm-hmm. of yeah. just mm-hmm. stirring up the waters and maybe, you know, I love the collaboration I've seen this week between mm-hmm. all the storytellers from different countries because we bring something from Sierra Leone, we bring something from South Africa, from Kenya, from these different places, and together we're stronger as a result. Yes. You know, the, there are stories that exist on the West Coast that don't exist on mm-hmm. the East. And likewise in the south or the north. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're actually north, um, you're north Africa. So you can know, I yeah. just please? I also think that I think that our our craft is not. They don't take it seriously. Sure. Like I know even when I'm 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 pricing mm. my work, when someone calls me and said, "Oh, can you please send me a quote?" Then the, then I'll send it. Then um, we could we could we couldn't possibly have that amount. Mm. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's not we couldn't possibly have that amount. It's just like, how the hell yeah. do you know what you're worth? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that goes back to the value that we place on yeah. stories, yes. you know? Yes. And, and, and teachers. Teachers are poorly paid. I uh-huh. mean, we, uh-huh. we have it all upside down in what we value and, and prioritize. But I also feel like we, because we're not, people, we, we're not really recognized. People are just like, oh, storytelling, you know? Sure. We've got enough freedom to tell whatever it is we want to tell mm-hmm. and share because people are just like, oh, they're storytellers, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that is room for us to actually share and 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 share more of those stories that people do not want to talk about, mm-hmm. the media shuns away from, you know? So we've got, I think we have that responsibility to share those stories. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited because in, in the U.S. anyways, there's a whole new... Um, network, TV network they're trying to develop called uh, the North Star, and it's mm-hmm. started by black people for mm-hmm. black people. It to, and it's called the North Star because of Frederick Douglass's paper, 
back in uh, pre-abolitionist pre days about the North Star. And you know that was what guided the Underground Railroad. And people have decided, you know, we're opting out of traditional media. We're going to tell our own stories. We're mm -hmm. going to have our own podcast, our own TV station, mm -hmm. our own newspapers, because we have to start driving the narrative. Yes. And I think yes. after this podcast is over, we're going to have another meeting. How <laughs> <laughs> we do that? Because I'm leaving here really, really inspired. Mm -hmm. um, can I just can yeah, I just say last word yeah. and then I want us to tell a story. All right, cool. <laughs> One of the things we also have to learn how to do is how to package ourselves. Yeah. We very much need to, and we often speak about this when we're designing flyers. You cannot design your flyer on Microsoft Word. Mm. You, you know, we have to have our quality website because we are competing. Mm -hmm. Like we have to recognize like there is now a business element. And if you go back, you would see that griots, storytellers were advisors to kings, yeah. queens. Absolutely. So therefore, these were people that were well respected Absolutely. in their community. Mm -hmm. So if we package ourselves well and let people know that we value ourselves, then they can start to change their story about how they see us Absolutely. and how they appro uh, appreciate us. And you know, you're getting me all worked up because when you say that, <laughs> it brings to mind so many things. I mean, here in Kenya, one of the hardest things for me, being an Ethiopian, being mm -hmm. here at times, is seeing there's an African heritage house which is full of artwork and different pieces of you know artifacts, mm. um, but it's narrated by an older white gentleman. Mm. You know, yeah, another yeah, Ruth yeah, Finnegan, yeah. essentially. You know, and I just think. There is nobody, there is not a single Kenyan historian who can narrate this, who can give voice to this history. I mean, it is, it is demoralizing. Yes. It, is, it's, it speaks to that packaging mm. ourselves in the sense of saying there are scholars and historians and tellers and transformative storytellers mm. mm. who could do this very easily. Mm -hmm. um, and yet other people have kind of co-opted our space. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's going to be a fight, I think, between the marketing of ourselves and yes. putting our stories there mm. and then pushing people out to have occupied a space. Can I, can I just drop this, um, this quote? Yes. Mm -hmm. It is from the Gospel of Thomas which is not in the Bible, not. but it's in the, you know, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, as it were, or found there. The quote says, when you know yourself, you will be known. Mm. Then you will know that you are the true sons of the Father. If you will not know yourself, you dwell in poverty, mm. and you are that poverty. Not your land, not your country. You are that poverty. If there's anything that um, that um, Europeans or any other foreign powers that had come into Africa, what they have sorted to do was for us not to know ourselves anymore. Mm. Change our names. Change yes. our, our language. South Africa, you had that big issue there yeah. in terms of languages. Yeah. Um, Sierra Leone, we have the whole package, names and, and everything. Change your spiritual beliefs. Change everything about your sciences, everything so that you feel devalued and you do not know yourself. If there's mm. any struggle Africans have, is we do not know ourselves. We've got to get together to know who we are and value mm. who we are. Hence, we're in poverty, not mm. necessarily because of monetary poverty, but we're poor in so many ways. In, in uh, goodness, we're poor in so many ways. Yeah. Why would a country like mine, Sierra Leone, has diamonds God knows how, how long? We do not have a single little corner shop that cuts and polishes diamonds. Mm. With all the diamonds we've had over the many, many years, because we do not know ourselves. So we dwell in poverty. poverty. 
Well, I'm hopeful, even though that's a heavy thing to mm -hmm. sit with. I'm hopeful because there are people like you in the world mm. who people refuse like to us. let us. us stay there. Yeah. Us. People like us. Come on, Lily. Come on, Lily. You here. You here. You with us. You with us. Yes. I'm with you. We're not going to accept that as okay anymore. So I'm excited to meet and collaborate with each of you because you give me such hope. Can we try and uh, do a Kidogo story? Small story, as we say in Kenya. Okay. All right. If then or and then. Okay. I'll start it. All okay. Right. We go around once, <laughs> then we go around one yeah. last time. Improvisation. Improvisation. All right. Uh, okay. So I'll, st I'll start it, but I'm not going to end it. Okay. Who wants to end? Maybe we'll, we'll leave Just that. Just We'll leave that to the spirit. Okay. See where we end. Okay. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful mountain. Everyone loved to go to this mountain because it had all the precious jewels you could possibly think of. This mountain had gold, silver, bronze, and it was beautiful and shiny, and it could speak. So, well, this mountain, every time it opens it, its mouth to speak, it will sing a song like this. Tula tu, tula baba, tula sana, tuluba buzobuga ekuseni. And every time it would sing like this, all the children from the mountain, they would all gather together and they would listen to the mountain. And as the mountain would sing, gold would come out and fall over. Diamonds would come out and fall over. Fresh, clean water would come out and fall over. All the riches, the, think of the most delicious tongue-tangling mango will come out and fall <laughs> over. Think of the most mouth-watering orange will come out and and just fall over. Oh, the kind of pineapple that will make you, as you bite it, you have to wiggle your toes. <laughs> it will come out of this mountain. And these children will feed themselves from this mountain that sings. Tula tu, tula baba, tula sana, tuluma ekuseni. And there's been many things over time, people, stop listening to the mountain and they would just walk past the mountain and the mountain would try to sing but the people were too busy and that was when the visitors came and as the visitors arrived they looked at the mountain and they began to recognize its value and they said to the people wow look at your mountain they said ah that old thing at first, the visitors just watched to see if the people would actually ignore the mountain. They started to wait, and after one week, and after a month, and after a year, they saw that the people forgot the mountain. So then, the visitors devised a plan. Their plan was... They called other visitors. They came with their ships. They had spades and guns, and they went and chanted and went up the mountain. They started digging, 
and digging and digging and digging. And then the mountain started to cry. The gold became tears. The people of the village heard this cry. The mountain started to cry like this. Oh, yini, oh, yini, na, nindi ekelandoni, oh, yini, oh, yini, na, nindi ekelandoni, oh, yini, oh, yini, na, nindi ekelandoni, oh, yini, oh, yini, na. And up till today, the mountain is still crying because its people have walked so far away they could not hear the cry anymore. And deep, deep, deep within the mountain, what the visitors did not know is that there is a secret that is only understood by its people when they are ready to understand it that will save the mountain and once again turn its tears into gold thanks for listening to uproot alim usifu kanisa it has been my joy to have you here if you're listening you can hear more episodes at lilibakelapiper.com or uprootthepodcast.com Thanks for listening. Peace. 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 <laughs> Fantastic. Oh my gosh, I almost cried. <laughs> <laughs>